everyone. You're listening to Bushwick Junction on Radio Free Brooklyn. This is a show hosted by me, Asha Saluja. Bushwick Junction is a show about life's inflection points. It's about the crossroads in our lives, which paths we choose when we reach them, and the decisions we didn't even realize until we were making. <sighs> I did it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I, I read this intro and I really should just have it memorized. But You're okay. doing great. Thanks, Nick. Bushwick Junction is a show about life's inflection points. It's about the crossroads we reach in our lives, which paths we choose when we reach them, and where those choices lead us or don't. We'll talk about the decisions we agonized over and the decisions we didn't even realize we were making until years after we made them. We'll talk about how we decide things, how we weigh our options, and how we tap into our intuitions. And we'll talk about the degree to which our choices matter. Do we have any control over the things that alter our fate, or do we end up in the same place no matter which roads we take? On each show, I have a guest tell me about all the big decisions they've ever made in order, starting at birth, fast-forwarding to their first big decision, and mapping out the roads their lives have taken as a series of these inflection points or junctions. Today's guest is an exciting one, and honestly, Nick, I feel like you have, for someone who's the same age as me, like so much to talk about uh, that we just we need to be conscious of time. Okay. We're not going to get yeah. through it all unless we we like really get the show <laughs> on the road. Let's do it. Okay, so why don't you first give us a brief introduction? I, I'll introduce you. This is my friend Nick Brennan. Uh, why don't you Why don't you give us fill in the rest of the details? Sure. Yeah. Uh, as Asha said, my name is Nick Brennan. Um, I live in Queens, but I grew up in New Jersey which I, we will certainly talk a lot about New Jersey and its influence in my life. But, uh, and now uh, I'm currently a, uh, a news booker at NBC News. Um, I book and research guests for the Today Show and for Nightly News with Lester Holt. And um, previous to that, I was probably uh, best defined as a, a musician, I guess, for a, a significant part of my life in a band called Static Jacks. Um, and I did a lot of other weird stuff in between uh, in various political and media uh, places. And um, yeah, so that's 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 me. Perfect intro. Nick's band, uh, Nick's former band, the Static Jacks, shares members, shares a front man with our theme song. <laughs> I was going to say, musicians. who was that? That was a great jam. <laughs> we were bopping. <laughs> we were uh, bopping. Nation of Language mm -hmm. and Static Jacks yes. are our yes, ancestors. Yes. Mm hmm so the first question on the show and one that normally is so interesting to me, but with you, it's like there's just so much else to talk about that maybe we, we gloss over this. I feel like you're hyping this up. Now everyone's going to be disappointed if we don't get into this amazing conversation, but I will do my best to, to try to help. Maybe I am hyping it up a little too much, <laughs> but it really is crazy. You, you've lived more lives than most people my age. So been very lucky. Tell me about the circumstances into which you were born. Sure. Uh, so I grew up in um, a town called Westfield, New Jersey. And uh, it really, I feel almost guilty saying this, but I shouldn't feel guilty. It was really a picture-perfect childhood. I mean, the town is beautiful, and, uh, you know, there are a lot of resources for the kids who grow up there. Um, there's a lot of privilege, which then turns into great opportunity for the, you know, the people who grew up there. Um, but it was, you know... Even though I had a great childhood, my family is very close. The only reason we had those opportunities is because my both of my parents came from basically the total opposite. They were really, um, they both grew up in Jersey City 
and neither of their families had any money. Both of their families um, were were immigrant families, direct descendants from immigrants. So um, my dad had Italian and Irish people come here. um, And my mom was all Italian. They literally came through Ellis Island. And um, they did not have great childhoods. They did not have good experiences. They had absolutely no resources or opportunity whatsoever. Um, And so they worked really hard uh, to get to a place where we could grow up in Westfield. And that was always really, um, I think, uh, subconsciously conscious to me. Like, I knew that we had a lot more opportunity than they did. Did they tell you? It was Was there like, you're so lucky. It wasn't like it wasn't like every day they were like, you are so lucky to have these clothes and we are going to Disney World and you are so lucky. It was more just I I into, we would go back and see that maybe the house that they grew up in Jersey City or even going to Jersey City was a kind of an, an event because it was like their impressions of cities was that it's not safe. Right. Like we never went into like Brooklyn or anywhere other than like Broadway when we would go to Manhattan growing huh. up because like to them like cities were completely different to and like you don't go there if you don't have to because they had a miserable experience wow so I just knew and then growing older you hear the stories of you know you talk with your parents you understand more so where they come from I understood very clearly um that the reason my dad and my mom worked so hard to wind up in Westfield was because they never wanted to be in the position that they were in growing up or that that we they didn't want us to be in that position that's powerful that pendulum swing I think that some that can happen that can play out so many ways like you can uh (laughs) live with this like immense privilege and also some degree of guilt that's kind of part of this that lifestyle yeah i think there now i feel like there i do feel guilt but my parents are quick to remind us like that's that was what they had hoped for right Right. it was really the american dream of like we're gonna come from immigrant families we're gonna do the best we can and work really hard so our kids can do better totally now i don't know if we're going to do better but we had a lot of opportunity (laughs) to do it you Um. guys are doing great uh okay so let's fast forward to your first big decision (laughs) sure yeah my first big decision was really the only big disagreement i've ever had with my parents and it was a, a really formative one um I I was not a good student and I was also very hyperactive and obviously I if you hear things it's because in this interview it's because I have Tourette's so you might hear little bits and bops or whatever so and I I the future could have been really dark for me and I think my parents understood that that I could have gone a really um, not good direction and so their plan for me which uh, was what they did growing up was they were going to go to they were going to send me to Catholic school. Um, that was the only way to get out of Jersey City and make it to college from from their perspective. They, through the church, got scholarships and were able to go to good Catholic high schools, not through the public school system, and then go to college. Um, so they saw that as my path, that I was going to get really... It wasn't really about the religion aspect. They had already give, like basically given up on me <laughs> about that. They wanted me to have like more focused attention, smaller class sizes, like access to laptops in the school which was like unheard of in the at the time in public high school and i was going along with that plan for a long time and somewhere along the line i was like are you guys crazy i can't go here i can't do this i can't wear a uniform every day so this is before you actually went though this was this was the end of middle school where like i was going like i didn't even pick classes at westfield public high school because i was going like i was getting fitted for uniforms and uh, they knew I didn't want to go, but that to, to them, this was like, you have to do this uh-huh. um, because we are worried about what will happen if you 
stay in public high school. Interesting. But I would imagine the public high school is pretty good. It was very good. Yeah. And it wound up being the most important. It the, the decision to not go to Catholic school changed the entire trajectory of my life. Like it is the most important decision I think that I made because if I had gone to the Catholic high school, I would have been miserable. I would have rebelled hardcore. I probably would have gotten into like serious drugs or wound up selling drugs just because it would have been very stifling. It would have been um, not a lot of I wouldn't have fit in there. I went there and I was like, this is really not for me. Interesting. Uh, so thank God I went to Westfield Public High School because it really became the roadmap for the rest of my life. Yeah, because of who you met. But also, yeah, there's something to <laughs> choosing an environment for yourself that like you stand out in makes you want to stand out even further. You're like, I'm not like you guys. Well, I'm going to really like not act like you guys. I really think it would have been a really bad situation for me. And I really think that I could have not made good friends and gone down a really dark path. And and being at Westfield, you're right. The people I met wound up in changing my life, which because I formed the band in high school, that's one of the things that happened. I made really close friends. I had a really strong friend group and we all loved music and movies and theater and performance so much. It, it, I wrote for the school paper. I really just started to develop all the things that would become uh, the rest of my life. Um, and I can't even imagine what would have happened if I hadn't made those connections or, or discovered those t talents or whatever you want to call them, those opportunities. Um, it would be a passions. Yeah, they were passions and they're still passions. That's really beautiful. Like you're I, I, any like any parent, they kind of thought, OK, this person needs some extra attention. <laughs> Absolutely. To not um, go down a dark path. And the things that the first things you reach for when a kid needs some extra rigor are like routine and academics and mm -hmm. you know uh, like subservience almost yeah it, well but, and it, that's that's exactly what they were they had good intentions and right. there was no ill will and it wasn't like i was like doing drugs or anything crazy it yeah. really was just like you are not a great student you have other talents and we want to make sure that you have a good future right uh, um and i did i found all things easier you know getting through high school and then especially in college but um, so you didn't mention this as a junction, but let's talk about forming the band. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's obviously like the most important thing that happened in high school. Yeah, the highlight. I mean, it was it was it was like 2004 and like Franz Ferdinand and the Strokes and the Killers and then also like emo. All these things were happening and me and my friends were just obsessed with uh, these bands and our school, Westfield High School, because it had these great opportunities. There were so many you could perform at a coffee house. You could perform even we, there was a Harlem Renaissance Festival that the school would put on and bands could perform. And we would look at the bands and be like, we could do that. We can we can we can figure that out. We can figure that out. And I was hyper. I played the drums. And so we, how did you pick up the drums? I picked up the drums because when I was younger, I had a lot of energy and they forced you to pick an instrument in elementary school. And drums just seemed to be where I naturally gravitated. But then it became serious in middle school when um, for the talent show, uh, a group of my friends was going to perform Stairway to Heaven mm. and they were like you can do this and I was like yeah let's do it and that really changed uh, a lot as well so um, some of the people were in Ian sang in Stairway to Heaven which, oh my god so he that's the reason that 
nation of language song is playing at the beginning of your podcast right now because of that one critical decision of performing Stairway, Stairway to Heaven, Heaven in eighth grade. That's too funny. Yeah. So uh, the dr- yeah. So that's was, what when, I did when you were. So this was already you were already kind of like, oh, I like these people. Mm-hmm. We're we're all into music together. You'd made those friends already. So yeah. Part of not going to. I did, but was- at the time I viewed it as like. I have I have these group of guys. To me, it was like I'm going to be cut off. Like this is the end. Like I got a little taste. I played Stairway to Heaven with Ian and you know Will Eisenberg, who wound up being in the high school band, but not in our professional career. And I, to me, I saw it as like, well, they're going to go off and they're going to have a new drummer. They're going to have a, a whole brilliant life of playing. Aww. Yeah, I really did feel like I, I was saying goodbye to that life, and it was just just the beginning. I knew I could still play the drums, but it wasn't really about playing the drums. It was about playing music with these people and sharing these experiences and performing in front of people and getting that reaction. And I viewed that as like, well, this is the end. I I was very dramatic. I've always been very dramatic. And even back then (laughs) I was, I was like, well, this is it. Like, you know, my life is over. Um, so I had that taste and I, 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 you know, so in high school we were under a band under a different name. uh, What was your name? (laughs) It was water down clockwise. It, one of the older brothers of a kid in the band recommended it. And we, we used to make shirts and we would play at every coffee house that existed. And it was just, it became an actual thing somehow from that. Watered? Watered or water? Water. So like when a toilet flushes, it goes down clockwise. So it was oh watered down God. clockwise. It was very like, you know, sophisticated stuff here that we were dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. Fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> watered, oh my God. Watered, watered down, down clockwise. clockwise. And so it was a big deal. When we got to be old, older classmen and we took ourselves very seriously, we were like, we need a new name. This is it. This is the time. And that, and somehow we landed on Static Jacks and that wound up <laughs> lasting until Same we were thing. 25. <laughs> were you writing any of the songs or were you, would I know any of those early songs from no, the Static Jacks uh, records? Uh, no. Maybe if you had seen us in like 2009. You might have like when we were playing for inf- showcases for labels, some of those songs from high school were um, there. But it was really more it, it kind of started the songs that you would be familiar with started probably when we were like 20, 21. Got it. Yeah. OK, so the the decision to start the band, did we really talk about that? When were you like, let's put some rigor around this, like let's do a band? It, what's funny is that and this is kind of the theme that I was uh, I kind of said this to you before. I, it was, it was a major decision to leave school to pursue the band, mm-hmm. but we'll get to that. Yeah. But the, the idea of like starting a band w- just sort of happened and grew on its own. And halfway through the experience, I looked around, and I was like, how the hell did this happen? How did we wind <laughs> up like, like labels are interested? Like, I don't even remember when it became possible that we could be signed or that we would go on tour. It went from high school band, it morphed like, by the time we were freshmen in college, somehow something had changed where it was like, oh, we're a real band now and we could maybe do this. Interesting. And, and I, this is the story of my life. I look around and be like, well, there was tremendous privilege and opportunity and some luck. But here I like, how did this happen? And hard work. But like, how did yeah, this happen? <laughs> I did not. Yeah, effort. But I did not. There was no plan. What was the eff- what was the level of effort like in high school in the early days when you were still wa- watered down clockwise? The, you yeah. were, were you was it hard to wrangle everyone or was everyone pretty singularly committed to? We were very committed. Like this was our identity. We were the band in high school, right? And like 
it was the reason probably that girls liked us. And it was the reason that we had, you know, we, it kind of made us cool. But beyond that, we loved writing music and we loved listening to music. So there was, it wasn't hard to corral everyone. We practiced all the time. We constantly had shows, whether it was coffee house, a birthday party, <laughs> we played a few like sweet 16s. We were constantly practicing for something and we were writing music prolifically. <laughs> like we were writing a lot of songs, me oh, and Henry. Amazing. And, you know, it was a lot. Um, and so it, it, we took ourselves very, we had a business basically. We would sell shirts. We sold them in the school and made actual money yeah. from our friends. Um, so it was pretty, we took it seriously from the get go. Cool. Is uh, it? I guess yeah. it is. But when yeah, I say it out so loud, cool. when I said out loud, we were like, I real like, Hey, that shirt, you got to pay for that shirt. Uh, Aaron or whoever like we were charging our friends that, yeah like I mean so it, you know yeah no it was it was something that we really really loved well I think what I'm imagining and kind of knowing a little bit of your high school crew it feels like you were just very <laughs> you were a beloved institution <laughs> I there's a lot of people if if they're listening to this who are rolling their eyes their eyes hardcore right now I think that's true but I think also um with that notoriety comes <laughs> we're talking about high school here, but like a backlash, right? Or like there, there were bands <laughs> who were like, backlash. there were bands who were like static Jack sucks. Like they're posers. They like, they don't play ska or what? Like, or like, Oh my God. Know, there, there was ridiculous. <laughs> they're like, posers. They don't play ska. We, we had, we had one band. You who should like, make a shirt that says that. <laughs> posers, they don't. Well, that was like a big scene. Yeah. In we had that. I had <laughs> yeah, that. My so. band friends were ska bands. We were the outsiders in a way because all the bands were ska bands or funk bands. I'm not kidding and these are all white kids yeah they are all oh white. i know they're I all know. white and so and they hated us because we were writing original indie dance music like, right like in the same vein of france ferdinand and so people would kind of like roll their eyes or say they didn't like us but then we would like play their birthday party and would go <laughs> nuts so the crowd went wild well i i yeah. love the static checks music i, I still you. listen to you guys i appreciate that uh okay it, I, i'm not sure we we have some prep Sure. I generally ask people to tell me ahead of time what junctions they want to hit. Yeah. But I'm not sure of the timeline of this next one you wrote down. Okay. So I don't know if it makes more sense. You kind of went out of order. Cause I feel like I did go out of order. Yeah. So That's picking so up classic. the drums, drums, yeah. big, big junction. But yeah. Yeah. we kind of covered that one. Yeah. The drums and more so performance. Like I, I realized early on that there was like a, a bottomless hole in me that I would never fill with anything and needed acceptance from everybody all the time. Drums was a, a way to Whoa, do that. Whoa, you just, wh how did we get there? What? I'm just saying, because that's, that's what the drums and like theater and making my friends laugh, all of that was established as a way to like preserve myself and be liked. And yeah. so that was, playing the drums was an outlet for that. And being in theater was an outlet for that or whatever. So that was really important for me to discover that outlet. So I didn't go crazy. Yeah. And, you know, and so that was that was really important. Yeah. I, I guess that was a heavy thing to say. It, no, it was amazing. I'm so <laughs> glad that we got there so quickly. I have an, I have an interesting theory here. I don't know if we're going to get to if this is like too much of a, a, an emotional tangent real quick, but like. Or rather, I don't know if I'm going to be able to articulate this well enough and quickly enough to make it worthwhile. But what you just said about using your passions, I guess, as as like a path to validation, like playing the drums or doing theater so that people like you. Yeah, I think when people say things like that and I totally have felt that way also, but it's like um, it's discounting 
that that's it, it that's not the way that everyone would choose to be liked by the world like right. that's the very specific way that you wanted to be seen and felt and understood and validated if you wanted everyone to like you you probably yeah. just would have like got really fit and like but you know i well the it's reason it's like it's very specific to you it's like yeah. your most individual and unique route it's the tools that i had and i thought about this this week because i knew i was doing this so i was a little bit more reflective than usual and thinking about why all these things happened or why i and i the the tourettes at an early age definitely caused me to be bullied and caused considerable out uh, feelings of being like an outsider at a young age so the tools that i had were making people laugh with me rather than at me which kind of informed the core of my personality. And then once people did start laughing with me in a good way, I was like, oh, I need this all the time. Like I need, I'm going to do this in class. And if they like it when I play the drums, I'm going to go all in on that. And it just kind of like, that's what I had, you know? Um, So that's probably, I don't know. I guess it's not normal that people do do choose things like that. Well, I think it's this beautiful thing of wanting the world to see and validate exactly you like exactly yeah. who you are you you yeah. loved music and you loved all these right. things yeah and like no it's interesting it was it, it's it's sincere it's not just it's not just trying to win people over it's trying to be your exact self in a way that people can connect to i think that's really i thank you for saying that because it's a great way to i haven't ever been able to art, like articulate that i feel like glad we went there <laughs> Uh, okay. Great, great detour. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, do you want to talk? I, I know this is kind of something we prepped in advance. Do you want to mm-hmm. talk about the Tourette's and how your path sure. with that? Yeah, I think it was a big deal for me to decide to stop taking medication for it in high school. And, um, so that was in high school. That's a well, big... I did it a few times. The first time was in high school. And then I, there were a couple times where I'd go back on medication, but then, wind up quitting again but that was the most important one because it was the first time that I realized I could do that like my whole life had been going to doctors various medications trying different things almost like it wasn't my decision like it was gonna be the way it was so when I decided not and they also made me feel not good the medicine like the side effects would dull my personality would dull my hunger would dull everything like because it comes from the same part of the brain Tourette's does. And when I decided to stop, I wanted to stop feeling so groggy and tired. And I also wanted to take control over it and be the one who decides what it's going to be. And that's how I've always looked at it since as not something that is going to, uh, I don't know, define me, but like it's something that I'm going to decide what it is. And if I decide I don't want to take medicine, that was a big decision that nobody had really ever offered me before. Yeah, well, I mean, it's tricky when you're, you're a kid. You were young, and we we can't necessarily let children make totally. decisions related to their health. I think maybe we should a little more. But yeah. yeah, so this was kind of your first individuating. It was around the same time as you deciding where to go to school. It was right in that time period. Yeah. And and n- again, my parents were not thrilled of the idea, but they never they didn't stop me. They always supported, you know... Um, the way I did it was bad because I just stopped cold turkey and that's mm. really not what you're supposed to do at all. Um, but it was a big decision for me and I, I've gone back and forth a few times over the years with it, but I've always wound up winding up staying off the med- the medicine. Um, not to say that you 
shouldn't. Like if you want it or you need it, you should absolutely take it. I just felt like I would rather live with the disruption and the pain, <laughs> the, the, the moderate physical pain, than deal with the side effects, which I just didn't care for. <laughs> and I wanted control over it. So, yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it is a theme throughout my life. The Tourette's is always underlying everything about me, I feel like, probably. Do you? I definitely think early on it was the thing that was easy to make fun of me for and then have to, like, think, like, it was the thing that potentially could have made me be other forever, right? I mean, there are definitely, I'm sure, out there kids who struggle with having Tourette's or ADHD and don't recover from it or have a successful social experience. And I think me establishing how to do that did form the core of my personality and my identity moving forward. Um, it even helped me play the drums. Like, I mean, I've heard that other people who have Tourette's play instruments and it's like, it's good for it and helps them and it goes hand in hand. And I did find that as well. So it did, it's kind of always there. A little bit of a superpower. Yeah, well, that's great. If I ever have a kid who has Tourette's, I'm going to tell him that's what it is. That's what I'm going to say now. So I'm going to keep that. But yeah. Tell yourself. I should tell. You just told me. So there you go. (laughs) Got it. But it certainly is um, like a pretty constant thing that I have to, you know. When you decided, so in in the dichotomy of talking or in the, the families of decisions that people make and talk about on the show, you can kind of divide them into reversible and irreversible ones. Right. That seems like a really hard decision just because the real, your reality, your daily reality was going to change so much. And that's always scary. But yeah, that is a reversible decision, right? You can always go back. It's, it's a, you can experiment with it. I can. And, and my parents and or any doctor has always encouraged me to be more open to available treatments or medicines. But in my mind, it was kind of like when I was 17 and I made that decision, it was kind of like I knew I was never really going to go fully back on medication like it was Mm -hmm. like once I figured out that I could handle it and and just deal with it that was kind of it and and my my dad especially gets mad at me all the time he's like you could be helping yourself more you could be in less pain you could be less disruptive at work if you're feeling like you're disruptive at work which sometimes I do and I just I in my mind it's like well I'm just no I'm not gonna do it like I don't want to go back on it so you're right it is a um, reversible decision, but it's almost in my mind like I'm not really going to even let it go there. It's like a value. It's it's a value you've generated more than a decision. It's, it's like, like deciding stubborn... to believe in God. Like, right. Yeah. Like you can't just you can't decide. Just decide. Oh, like oh, now it there yeah. it is. I I I'm going to do this. I'm committed to believing in God. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like that. I um I have no desire to be tired all the time or or feel like. I have to take something to help myself, which you should if you need to. But this yeah. isn't a life-threatening disease or anything like that. It's like, and mine is moderate. So, but yeah, you're right. It is, it is, um, it is technically a reversible thing, but I don't think my mind will, will let it really go there. Cool. Uh, that's a really interesting part of your life. And let's not hesitate to, or you can talk about it as much or as little as you want but i'm interested as we continue going through your story to hear how you think it's been an undercurrent yeah absolutely i mean yeah especially in the i mean it's ebbed and flowed my entire life definitely you know especially in the in well why don't 
I'll let, I don't know how. Yeah, let's keep going. Sure. So you <laughs> graduate from high school. You have a band. You're all, you all went to different places. So we the did. band was ostensibly going to end for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't. Yeah. Before college, was there conversation of not going to college? Um, there, the things that I can remember are a teacher who used to see us all the time because the coffee houses would take place at the high school would say to us, you guys should not go to college. Like, don't go. You a guys teacher said that all the time. And it was one teacher, Mr. Ebert and a few others actually were pretty, were really support. He was like, you guys are just getting better and better. Like forget college, like go back later if you have to. Like, yeah. And we were always kind of like, you're crazy, Mr. Ebert. Like, what are you talking <laughs> about? Cause like in Westfield, that's not something you do. Like, yeah. you know, everyone goes to like really good colleges or whatever. And so there were conversations about us trying to all be in New York. And then, and one of the members got into a school in California and I, I was such a drama queen. I remember I walked outside and I like laid down on the hood of my car. And when my dad got home, he was like, what are you doing? And I was like, the band's over. <laughs> you don't understand, dad. Oh my God. And <laughs> like looking back, like it was ridiculous, but we, it did feel like the band of brothers that we were was going to be, how were, how were we going to make this work? Even if four of us are in New York, how are, what are we going to do with, with you know this one member who's now in california and he doesn't he wants to get into film like what is he talking about film he's gonna be a director like and he did and he is and he's amazing oh my god but so we had there was a transition where we had to to answer your question it wasn't on the table yet really in a real way that we were gonna like delay college or anything we all went to college thinking we were gonna stay in college right 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 (laughs) so that obviously didn't happen which brings us yeah how did that how did how did that get made it got made because right when we got to college like literally the day that one henry and i got to college we, wait where did everyone go so henry went to pratt right i went to suny purchase so you were close yeah we were close ian went, went to, to NYU, nyu yeah and then that was really we had a, a few other members who decided to pursue college instead of music so we had to fill those spots eventually but the three the core of us the three of us were in new york and like literally the day we got there our manager, who was Henry's older brother, Adam, uh, somehow found out that Downtown Records was interested in signing a development deal with us, which I have no idea how that happened. Um, he must have. How did that? How do you think it happened? The way the reason it, ha- it must have happened is because we were pl- we had made the jump to start playing in venues in New York City. So I remember we played at Arlene's Grocery when we were still in high school. And we played at um, Bowery Ballroom opening for Tokyo Police Club because the manager was from Westfield and we like pressured him all the time to put us on a show with Tokyo Police Club. And he heard our demos and was like, fine, they're good enough, whatever. So we that was really so that it, was I guess. while you were still in high school. We you were open for Tokyo Police Club. We were going to buy tickets to that show. And we went on the website and we were like, what is happening? And it was literally like and we were like, literally nobody no. told us. I'm not kidding. Literally, we were like, wait a minute. Like nobody had told us yet. And so we didn't. Oh, even, my God. So, so we played that show when we were some of us were still most of us were 17. I think I don't think any of us were 18 yet. And I guess after that, there was some sort of little bit of buzz. And like, you know, once you play shows like that, I guess people find out about you somehow in the music industry. So long story short. We didn't know um, what was going to happen with Downtown Records, but the fact that they were interested and they really made it seem like they were going to sign us. Like we met with attorneys and they were coming to all of our shows and we were like, okay, we're going to like this Cold War Kids, Santa Gold, they're on Downtown Records. Like we're going to be on Downtown Records. So we left and then like they went like they ghosted us. They straight up like ghosted us and we were like horrified. We were like, what are we going to do? Wait, wait, wait. 
you left college and then they ghosted you? We, yeah, <laughs> yeah sorry, I hit the microphone because I'm laughing now. Yes, we, wait, 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 wait. It was never clear that they, as I said, it really seemed like they were going to sign us. Fair enough. But okay, so you get to college and on your first day of college, yeah. there was some interest <laughs> from a label. And you just skipped yeah. over like the whole juicy. You've skipped over okay, the okay, climax okay. of this episode. <laughs> Did I bury the lead? Yeah. I'm sorry, everybody. Okay, so yeah, we get to college and like, by the way, I'm having a friggin' blast. Like I'm meeting people and trying new things and like getting A's because like SUNY Purchase is an art school and I'm in the liberal arts program. I'm not making art there. Like, like, and it's, you know, let's be honest. It's like not like I'm doing the hardest stuff here. And so me we're still writing a lot of songs and this opportunity is there and so it wasn't an easy decision to leave school because i was having a great experience other people in the band were not having a great experience at school and they really wanted to do this and i was we i remember we got all the parents together in one of our living rooms wait whoa whoa whoa, whoa. that's adorable wait okay <laughs> well, hang on okay so the first day of college there's some interest from a band that's cracking up right Because it is ridiculous. Like, when you recount the details, it's like, it is pretty funny. Okay, wait. So, the first day of college, there's some interest. Like, are you all deciding that week? Is it, like, urgent? I feel like I've heard that there was a semester. You did a semester. We did a full semester. Okay. And as it got closer to Christmas, um, really, the pitch was, and it was Adam who was kind of driving... You guys, like, on a group text? Like, how is this happening? Back then, honestly, we were still, like, on... There was, I remember putting up an away message when Obama won. Like, that, there was, the AIM was still around. Yeah, yeah. Like, I put up, like, Obama won, like, away oh message. God. And I had like 30 <laughs> messages when I got back. Like, <laughs> like, so I don't really, yeah, we were communicating through like the internet. I think we had a, a band email. Okay, we okay. Just, you know, and so, and we, and it was easy. Here's the other thing, which I didn't mention. We, we continued to play showcase shows in New York City. For other labels as well as for downtown records. So we were constantly getting together to play shows. I remember we were still like me and Henry and Ian would meet uh, at, at like a uh, outside of a, a Cold War Kids show or something and pass out demos. You oh, know, cool. we used to do that stuff all the time in New York. So the pressure was mounting as we were getting near the decision to like sign up for another semester. We had to decide what to do with this opportunity or just the fact that that opportunity even existed kind of meant that we should at least try to go all in on this and see what happens. Yeah. So you gather all the parents in the living room. All the parents are there. We got Billy there. We got Kathy there. We got uh, we got them all there. Shout out to my parents. parents. Shout out my parents. And it was a really, it wasn't, not, there wasn't like, I really thought that at least one parent would be like, what are you talking about? Are <laughs> you crazy? Like, are you, but everyone was like, yeah, no, this is, makes sense. Like, you know, like, put it on pause. Like, you can always go back. Right. And we were all kind of like, so no, no one's going to stop. Right? <laughs> Nobody here is going to be like, don't do this. Wow. And, and so we friggin' did it. I don't, I don't, I don't remember the exact moment where it was clear, but I do remember having to go to the office at purchase and like sign a sheet that was like, I'm not coming back next semester and I don't know when. Were you the most hesitant of all the band members to do this? Um, that's a good question. I guess I would have been because Ian hated NYU and he was in the total wrong program. And, it, you know, it's so the worst. It, it, yeah, he was really he like for somebody who hates like <laughs> whatever. Anyway, he, he was in the wrong program uh, and 
Henry, I think, would have had a great time at Pratt, but really wanted to be a music. Like, so for me, the only hesitation was I'm having a great time. I've made all these great friends. And like, who knows what's going to happen here? But it really, I didn't put up a fight at all. I was ready to go. I was like, let's try this. Let's do it. Um, it's either going to happen or it's not. And, you know, there were other things we had to figure out, like replacing some of the members from high school who weren't going to be do- able to do this. And um, getting part-time, like I had to get a part-time job. You know, it wasn't an easy transition. It became very difficult because we did it for years. We didn't go right. back for years. If so some of us never have gone it back. decided it was decided you all unenrolled from college. And then what happened? What happened was <laughs> we started creating content a lot. On like li- what like, happened on day one? It's like January yeah. 1st. Yeah, that was a scary day because it was like we did it wrong. Looking back, we really shouldn't have met every day in my basement and just written to get like that was not the right way to do this. So everyone moves back to Westfield, which may which was a necessity Mm -hmm. but also ultimately a hindrance um it was a necessity because we had no money and Mm -hmm. we we had it wasn't like my our parents were going to like pay for an apartment in new york that we could all live in and like ruin our lives or whatever i mean Mm -hmm. it was like we were there to do this thing so we were in my basement writing songs constantly we were trying we would record newer and better sounding demos we would go into the city multiple times a week and busk in Union Square with an old suitcase and acoustic guitars and we would yell and scream at everybody and people <laughs> would put it on YouTube and we would make money. We enough, we saved enough money to buy a terrible, terrible van that we traveled in for years. And so those are the kinds of things we're doing all the while still trying to get attention from labels and bookers and somehow we... Yeah, so day one was scary. It was basically just like plotting out what we were going to do. Um. It was yeah. It was scary on day one, but it got scarier as we went along because the pressure becomes. You realize like, whoa, we're like, so what do we do now? Like at day one, the opportunity is endless, and then uh-huh. as you go on, you're like, uh, we really got to make something happen. Yeah. Like, what's going on here? Why isn't anything happening yet? Yeah, <laughs> yeah so it scary. did. When downtown ghosted us, uh, we we ha- we didn't have label serious label attention. Uh, in a, in a serious way where like there were going to be a contract presented or negotiations for a few years. Um, so it was tough, but you know, those years built character and they built the songs that we had. And um, ultimately we did get a, 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 we acquired a booker who helped us get on tours. And that was after we went down to South by Southwest when we were 20. And then the booker, got us some good tours, which led to a deal when we were 21, a record deal. And we recorded our, our first record in New York. Um, and then that record came out and we toured some more and it really did feel like some, something was really happening after that first album. Um, we did get attention. We got some reviews and then it, it just kind of like never hit the mark that we hoped and thought it would. And so we quickly followed up with album number two, which we felt was better musically, uh, more in tune with what we were Um, like interested in or where our influences came from and that did much less than album number one and and touring wise as well so we were left with very little options which brings us to my next big life decision i guess but we don't we don't have to jump there yet but that's kind of the trajectory of of the whole experience in a nutshell um and there was chaos throughout i mean there were crazy adventures and low points throughout the whole thing did Um, you love touring yeah. Well, yes and no. I mean, yes, looking back, like those are amazing memories and they, it was so much fun. And sometimes you would take for granted in the moment that you're like, 
we're on we're on a ferry going from London to Paris with no adult supervision. We're in our early twenties. Yeah. There's going to be a show at the other end of this with a lot of European kids who don't know us, but will dance and buy stuff. And it was it's crazy that none of us died or anything the whole time. Like I mean, you know, there's no preparation for this type of experience. Um, and I loved it. I loved the attention. I loved performing. I loved playing the music. I loved, you know, I loved everything about it. But it was also exhausting. And you'd wind up hating the people you're constantly around. And it's difficult in a different way. A very, not you know, it's, it's not the hardest thing in the world. But it's, it's also tough. And um, we would really try to enjoy. It. We never knew how, when it would end or how long it would last. So we tried to enjoy Every moment had that like nihilistic edge to it, where you're like, oh, "We need is. to enjoy this now." The yeah, whole, I don't know how bands do it. We're like, you know, Ian's still doing it. I don't know how he deals with the anxiety. I am also someone who's constantly worried about the future, but not necessarily taking steps to like make sure that my, you know what I mean? I like, feel that so deeply. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like that too. So I was constantly, constantly anxious about. Well, what what about the next tour? What what, the, what if the album doesn't do well? Like, what are we gonna do? Mm-hmm. And so I, looking back, I wish I had stopped asking those questions so much and just like focused on the moment but at the same time nobody else was asking them so i felt like i really needed to be the one who was always worried about the next thing because i was the ultimately the only one who went back to school and i did feel pressure for on myself to i wasn't going to just not go back to school or do anything you were like if i'm going to be not in college this needs (laughs) to be worth it and like big and yeah it It needs to be yeah 100 percent. so what was the decision like to call it are you comfortable talking about that? Yeah, sure. I don't, I don't, I certainly didn't call it. Although there's definitely, I think <laughs> I, uh, it, w- there wasn't a lot of options at the time. And this kind of plays into what I feel like in most things in my life that it like, it kind of just reveals itself the way it's going to be. And we got together after the second album and it didn't do what we needed it to do. So, my outlook was like all we can do all the only option we have is to write another album that's what we can control it can be better like we can bounce back with good music just let it you know and it just not everybody had it in them at the time to do that not everybody was inspired to do that not everybody had the to- like the emotional tools to be ready to do that and so there was just a, an impasse like there was okay well then what are we going to do and it was like well we're not doing anything so And I was like, okay, well, then I have to go back to school. Like, I mean, you know, I, you know, or I have to, like, I can't, I'm not just going to sit around and work at Crumb's Bake Shop. Well, like, which I did. Specific call out. Yeah. Which I did work at as during this, these years. And like, so to me, it was like, well, obviously we either need to do something or, uh, you know, so, and this was also a really terrible time in my life. Like the, like uh, I had gone through a breakup, the band was falling apart. I felt completely directionless and uh, I believe I knew you in this time. We hung out a few times. (laughs) Yeah. So I, uh, to me, it was just that the decision, the major decision was to go back to school. I didn't think that would be the decision that would end the band because they're still, Henry and Ian had no plans yet. They were still in Westfield. I'm right at Rutgers. That was kind of like, well, let's talk about deciding to go to Rutgers. Uh, yeah, I mean, to me, it was not even a, there really was no other option. Like I had applied and gotten in just in case because we were either going to write another album or we had no other plan. So that it really wasn't even 
what I felt at the time a major decision. It was just obvious. It was like, I have to do this. I'm, I'm going to get my degree if we're not. And I'm right down the road. Like, let's pick it up again when we're ready. What really, I think, created the distance and then it, the inevitable just it was just kind of the band like floated into nothing. It just kind of like it did. There wasn't even like a it fizzled. It fizzled. And I think was my decision to go to D.C., which I mm-hmm. guess maybe some people interpreted as like he's really leaving. Even though it was temporary. What was that? What when was I, that during college? I um let me try to think timeline wise. I I had gotten back into college, but it was like I was going to be gone for a whole like from like May till September. It was, it was an, like internship an internship at okay. the DNC, and doing that really changed everything. It kind of put me on the path that has brought me to this exact this moment in my career and in my personal life. But so you applied to that. You were like again. I was like, I'm not just going to sit around all summer. Like, you know I gotcha, what I mean? but you were like, <laughs> there was still maybe going to be some band stuff, but you were like, well, I need to start thinking about my other options. Yes. And this is one option I want to make possible. Absolutely. So you applied and, and you it, got, it got in. in. And then, I, so like, this is where the decision making starts becoming like less like critical and just kind of like things snowballed. Like I, I got in and I was like, well, I guess I'm doing this now. Like, you know what I mean? There was a sense of like, should I not go? Like, I'm depressed. Maybe I can you know, the band will pick up. But ultimately I was like, no, all these things that are falling apart are falling apart for a reason. And I should get out of here. Like I should go somewhere new. I should go and live on my own in a new city. And it did change everything. Um, and that kind of did become the point where like we stopped communicating as a band and nobody really made an effort to like get it back together. Um, I don't think it was my fault, but I think there was just no other I think it was the way it was going to be. The momentum was at a at a stop. I don't know how yeah. anybody would have just been okay with, and you know, some some of the people in the band did would just still wait and and try to find another opportunity at home. And I just couldn't do that. I was too antsy. I was too anxious. I was too. I had too much energy, and I wanted to do something. If we weren't going to do that, that's an undercurrent. It's not yes. the Tourette's, it's just the energy. It's, it, I think that really is the, un, the actual true undercurrent. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. So, yeah, the decision to go to D.C. really did change things and put me on the, the weird path that now, post-band life, is still has been a weird jumping from thing to thing. Um, like, I didn't, I didn't decide, I'm going to be an intern for Colbert right after this. It just kind of, like, snowballed into that. Like, I was like, well... I guess I'll apply and see if I get in. And then suddenly I was a Colbert intern. And then it was like, well, I'm about to graduate. What do I want to do now? Like, well, I could apply for the page program. I'm not going to get in. And then I got in. And like, again, it's like all this luck and all this like opportunity, privilege. And with, with, you know, some, some talent and charm, I guess. Um, do you think that your kind of non-traditional young adulthood has opened up these doors for you in some way? Do you think people like, Oh, employers are drawn 100% th- to the fact that you absolutely did this? I yeah. mean yeah 100% it's always the first thing that people ask like I'll sit down and they'll be like so this band <laughs> you know like you you toured Europe you know because everyone and they're like is everyone, that on your resume yeah like, of course it is like it was on my resume it was like founder songwriter drummer of Static Jacks signed to Fearless Records toured Europe sold this many out al- yeah because and I like I'm glad I did because it has helped definitely like in the Colbert interview, it was like, so you love politics, but you've also done this crazy thing. Like, tell me about that. And then like, yeah. I'll talk about it. And then it's like, cool. Okay. You're somebody different. You've done this thing. 
and it's given you this life experience and this, yeah, I think that it makes people think that I have gone through things and experienced things. And that's I ha- so exciting and such a learning moment for the show. Like, <laughs> I people are afraid to yeah. do things because it's not the thing that okay. If you have an end goal, if you want to be a booker at NBC News, people are afraid to do things that aren't that because people who are bookers at NBC News haven't done that. Yeah, I and I'm the thing is now I'm in the most steady, normal place I've ever been in my career. And I'm kind of worried that that's the end. Like it has been an adventure. I've loved every minute of all these crazy things. And so, so even when I was interviewing to be a booker, it was like, okay, so you were a page. You were also a Colbert intern, then, and you were in politics, and you were in this band that got signed when you were 21. Like, what? And I was like, I know, I don't know what to do. Like, <laughs> I, don't I, know. I don't know. Like, yeah, and I love the news. So, like, you want? do you want me? And they were like, okay. <laughs> I can't, I did not plan the path. And so to your central question of this podcast, like, I don't necessarily believe in fate at all. Or, like, my life could have gone in every different direction at any of these junctures based on the decisions. But I also don't feel like I made there. Like we talked about important decisions and I guess any listener would say like, yeah, you've made some important decisions, but a lot of things just kind of happened and I went along with it and was kind of like, whoa, this is all right. Yeah. I think I'm going to kind of go on the same tangent I did before. I think you're discounting the unique to you-ness of every, of what happened at every junction. That is certainly fair. Your, your life could have gone any number of ways at, various different points like you know multiverses of different ways but the thing that happened was the most unique to you thing most like intangibly nick brennan thing that could happen (laughs) at every junction did i think you're probably right and i could never i would never deny uh like i still people will like i have a lot of people who will say can you talk to my friend who wants to be a page or who wants to work in news or various things and the question is always like how did you get these opportunities and to your point it has been a it's a unique resume it's been a very unique uh set of circumstances so you know that's where i am now and it is weird to have some sense of stability and like now i really do have to make serious career choices like now i'm in it and now i have to figure out what i'm gonna do and i don't like that i'm the kind of guy who wants to like look at all the appetizers in the menu but i don't want to choose by like somebody else choose and also choose get a whole bunch of them because i don't <laughs> i want to try all of them i don't want to be the one to i love options and i yeah. hate choosing yeah there one episode i talked to someone who used the phrase a maximizer <laughs> yes i You're like you need am. to know all the options yes. so that you can pick the best one and oh, that is so me you want decisions that you can get uh that that you're that don't lock you out of other things for example for in a weekend on a friday at like three i've got a million feelers out there because i want to i want to know i have a lot of options but i don't want to pick which one i'm going to or tonight we're supposed to have dinner plans and like like we could we haven't picked a restaurant yet and i'm like oh yes but then when we do i'm gonna be like oh, i wish we had picked a different like we could have tried yeah. all of them you know that is <laughs> maybe two dinners <laughs> <laughs> yes that would be great because i have a lot of fomo i feel like in my yeah. life you know i have this too this is yeah. speaking to me yeah uh wait another thing i was gonna think i was just gonna say that the other person i talked to mm-hmm. uh who described this also had this interesting and crazy life path I think if you're someone who like needs yeah. to try out everything, you're going to try out everything and it's going to look weird from the outside a little bit. Yeah. And I think that is me. And now the the anxiety that I feel now is that I'm done. 
right? That I'm, which is crazy because like I'm not even, I'll be 28 next month and I've had all the, people keep saying to me like, but look what you've done already. And I'm like, that has nothing to do with where I'm going to go next or how long I'm going to do what I'm doing or, or what it's going to lead to or, um, and then eventually very adult things start happening to you, right? Like you move in with people, you, you get engaged or you have babies or, or you, you, your youth gets less. So, you know what I mean? It, yeah. at some point you can't just keep hopping around, um, which scares me as well. Right. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the learning moment from this episode is just, if there's <laughs> something that you want, don't think your life. Don't think that your life has to look like all the other people who want it. Oh, one hundred percent. I mean, that yeah. really is hitting me hard right now. It's is, like, do you feel like that's a theme in all of almost all of my decisions? Yeah, just like you're you're like voraciously pursuing exactly what you want or think you might want to try. You're not yeah. even if you're not sure, but it's like you're definitely not. You're not trying for one thing, so you don't have this like boring one track, right? aimed at one thing life yeah i i do feel really lucky and i i do feel like i would have a lot of regret if i didn't peel back the curtain on all of the i really have gotten the chance to peel back the curtain on all the things that i loved and it all goes back to the things that i started to identify with myself in high school like politics and music and media and the news or you know i've gotten to really experience those things and so that's you know now I need to figure out which where I where I belong for a little bit more time than I have been in in other things. You're really living. Oh, God. I kind of want to play a static jack. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, which one? <laughs> Can it be one that I wrote? <laughs> What's your favorite? <laughs> What's my favorite? That's tough. You know, it's a very bittersweet thing. Obviously, I think a lot of people get a kick out, out of like static jacks, and, and like you probably do. And we then don't I'm have like, to play no, no, Jack's I don't song. mean it to bum you out. I did not mean it to bum you out. I just mean it's a very complicated um, emotion for me. But and I think uh, all of us probably feel that way. The guys who who went through it. But I'm enormously proud of it, and I do love when people love it. And I'll still get text messages from friends in like Ohio or like. Yeah, I just came out of the bar and I'm like, that's awesome. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, what's, what's my favorite one? We can do one of two things. We can play a static Jack song or you can answer the question. Are there any decisions you've made that you regret? You pick which of one of those two routes we take for these last five minutes. Jeez, that's tough. Uh, or we could play a Static Jack song while we talk about your regrets. Why don't we do that? And I'm going to choose a song that nobody ever chooses as their favorite song. Okay. okay. It's called Sonata, or I think, or and it's called Sonata parentheses, maybe we can work it out or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, uh, I think I need to... You don't have oh, it. That's great. YouTube. You're a real fan. No, I don't, have, real... I don't have Spotify on this because <laughs> okay, I work okay, at Pandora. <laughs> Um, I don't really know how either of those things work. There's but no Pandora. Do- what do you use for music? Spotify. Right, right, Sorry, right. Pandora. All good. <laughs> we're, we're going YouTube. But oh, that's a tough question about regret. I really can't say I regret a lot because I was lucky to experience a lot. I think I regret sometimes how I've handled situ- situations. Like I wish in the band years I wasn't so anxious or like, you know, I wish I hadn't um, been so quick to make, I don't know, I was going to say quick to, to move on, but I wasn't quick to move on. I didn't think I was moving on at the time. Um, I don't know. What do you regret? <laughs> 
I don't know. I think most people's <laughs> uh, the, the only thing that most people regret is worrying not, too much. Well, yeah, they're not right. doing that, something. Yeah, people not doing regret, something. But you've done all the things. Well, that's that's there's the thing. nothing you didn't do. All right, so. I, let's, I don't know about that. I I nothing to regret. I feel like it, exactly what you said. I wish I just hadn't worried so much. Having said that, I I got I still worried my way through those fun times. Ooh, let's not end on this note. I don't even know. You you didn't do you you didn't you didn't leave any stone unturned. So you have nothing to regret. No, except- I have no regrets about the things I did. They were all yeah. I met amazing people throughout each of those experiences. And I had the time of my life like I got to be at SNL after parties as a page, you know, like I'm like, here's damn. Yeah. You know, I got like, it's, it's crazy. You meet like, a lot of famous people. Probably. I do meet a lot of, and I did, especially as a page, yeah. uh, I was in some crazy situation. Well, I could do a whole other podcast about some of the situations that you'd like be in an elevator with like, <laughs> like David Spade and, and you know, like somebody else. Like, have you met Beyonce? I have. N- uh, no. The episode where uh, Solange was the guest. And oh, my God. Who was the host? Benedict Cumberbatch was the oh host. And Dave Chappelle was there, too, because he was hosting the next one. So it was right before the election. So everyone still loved everybody. And Jay-Z and Beyonce walked into the after party. And New Yorkers are pretty, like, cool people. They don't like to show a lot of. But everybody was gawking. And, yeah. and royalty. A, a path literally split in the middle of the room. And they just, like, glided through, like, they waving at everyone. Yeah, literally. It was crazy. I'm so glad we ended with that story. Yeah, I'm going to you go. play your music. <laughs> uh, I'm going to do some ending credits. Cool. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Nick, for being here. Thank you this so much for having me. This was a fun episode. No, thank you. Uh, radio Free Brooklyn, <laughs> support them online. Nonprofit community radio station. Make some tax-deductible donations. RadioFreeBrooklyn.com. Uh, theme song is by Nation of Language. Check them out on Bandcamp. And if you're interested in the show, you want to be a guest, Feel free to email me at asha at radiofreebrooklyn.org. I'll see you next week. Bye.